It's the number one show in sport, and it's coming at you live from Arizona. Super Bowl 57. Bellis got it in. Touchdown, Philadelphia. And Mahomes steps up, throws to the back. Touchdown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Welcome to the Super Bowl 57 Eve preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. It is Super Bowl Eve here in Phoenix ahead of the Chiefs and the Eagles. It very much feels like this is the epicenter of the the sporting world at the moment. KD coming to the Suns, all that had the city captivated. And then it's expected that the crowd was about 220,000 people for Saturday at what is now the iconic Waste Management Phoenix Open. And then... We've got the Super Bowl coming tomorrow. You know, sometimes when you travel overseas, it's the best time to catch up with friends. So Jared Whitley with you. Nathan Buckley is with me. Hello to you, Bucks. G'day, Jared. It's um, great to see you over here, the other side of the world. We're sitting here. So we have a view of Camelback. So if you, if you were to say, what is, what is desert terrain in terms of a mountain range? It is this, this two-humped mountain at our back. There's, there's cactus around, and this is... The Desert Super Bowl right before us. You're aware, is it a cacti or is it cactus, <laughs> mate? I'm not sure. But um, it is quintessential desert. We've, uh, I've had the good fortune of coming to Phoenix quite often. Like we, we had our altitude training camps in Flagstaff, which is only three hours north of here. Um, so this has been a, or a, a through destination to, um, to our training camps. And then on the way out, for anyone who's been to Alice Springs, it feels Alice Springy in terms of sort of temperature. It's in the winter. The place itself, um, it's, it's beautiful. The people are lovely. And obviously the town's a buzz because there's a couple of big events on. Are you planning to climb that before you leave? Yeah, I'm going to get up there. And, and I, I find that I need to do it at the crack of dawn. Like I think things look best right at, well this is with um of course this is a a, a a wide sweeping statement but i reckon things look best when the sun first comes up so i'm out and about and i yeah i've uh, was able to do that at the joshua tree national park a couple of days ago in palm spring or close to palm springs on the way over from la to here and i'm definitely going to do it here there's some beautiful country here to um to have a look at as the sun rises in your mind what's the super bowl what what's the pull for you Oh look, I—it's it, a pinnacle event. I've—I've I've probably become more of an NFL sort of nuffy over the last sort of five to ten years. A good mate of mine, Brenton Sanderson, mate of yours, uh, has been on it for a long time. Um, I've visited the the Patriots at Foxborough. I've visited the Jets um, at their training facility and watched them um, out at Meadowlands. Um, I've been to the 49ers, but I sort of was doing that more about, okay, what can we pull out of this team environment to go elsewhere? It wasn't so much about a, a, an interest or a passion in the game itself because it's very different to football. There's no transition. It's just offense or defense or special teams. So it's a very different sport. But I suppose when I've been able to immerse myself in it a little bit more um, and knowing that you're coming here as well over the last um, period of time, you, you, you watch it a little bit closer and... Yeah, you know, it's a very athletic sport, and um, you know, I, I've, I really do um, enjoy what they can do at the capacity. And obviously, they're hitting as hard as I've seen anyone hit in a in a collision sport. What um, what exposure have you had? Did you do any sort of 
um, what is it, not, not placements, but did you visit with any teams during your playing or coaching days? I know you were over here at one stage with Mason Cox and went to a Cowboys yeah. game. What have you seen NFL-wise? Um, well, as I said, we went to Foxborough and, and went and watched the Patriots train one day, and that was, uh, that was 06, so it was before I'd finished um, playing. Um, I think we got in through the Kraft family, who are the famous owners of the Patriots, and um, we walked past Bill Belichick, and he had his eyes down. So I don't think we were there on, from the football side of the program. We were there from the admin side yeah. of the program. But, um, yeah, that was interesting in itself. With the 49ers at one point, I think that would have been about 2015, when they were really struggling with Chip Kelly as a coach, and they, they sort of turned him over soon after. Um, as I said, the Jets with, with, with Ben himself were, were awesome to see. Um, and then, yeah, only a couple of years ago with Mason Cox, we came and watched the game in Dallas and then got the chance to go into the facility um, a day later. I think, I mean, when you, when you put a group of people together that are passionate towards an outcome um, at the elite level, um, whether it's in sport or business, um, it's always interesting to see how they operate. They're very methodical. The, the American culture is very methodical, very this is the way. Um, and they're, they're very measured in the way that they do things. Um, they have high expectations, but they have great buy-in from their people generally. Um, there's a lot of people here, so if you want to stand out, if you want to reach the top, you've, you've got to do something extraordinarily well. And generally that starts with, with a work ethic and a drive and a desire, so it's no different to what we're trying to achieve in our, in our endeavours. We've had the, the chance to meet a lot of people. So I've had a great week. So I've, I came over in October and got to meet some of the broadcasters. So I've been able to reconnect with Kevin Burkhart, who's about to call his first Super Bowl for Fox. Uh, Kevin Harlan, who's the national radio broadcaster for Westwood One. So that interview will play in our pregame show tomorrow. Um, oh, a spoiler, as Ben Graham and I stalked Pat McAfee. So... Pat was a punter when Ben was, and Ben taught him the drop punt. So they've got this lovely connection. Now, Pat is almost as inaccessible as Stephen A. Smith, but we camped in the right spot, and there's that connection between the two of them. So a little bit of that tomorrow. And Steve Levy, I'm going to set that interview up for you in this hour. He's going to call the Super Bowl for ESPN in Australia and New Zealand. So I've had my fill. There's a great moment that I observed you having. So our guest, our ballpark, um, uh, tour is here and on Friday we have a lunch called Chalk Talk and the MVP from Super Bowl 48 was Malcolm Smith mm. and Malcolm was a defensive linesman for the Seattle Seahawks and he had a phenomenal game and nobody expects a linebacker on the defence to win the MVP he was, he was riveting. His story was brilliant. His brother had won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants. He won a Super Bowl and then he played in the Super Bowl the the um, Seahawks totally botched against the Patriots right at the end. So there's this lovely moment where there's a Norm Smith medalist from an AFL grand final and an MVP from a Super Bowl uh, deep in conversation. How did you find Malcolm? It was, it was interesting to talk to him. And obviously, um, we're just talking about having 300 million people in a, in a country and rising you know, to the, the pinnacle of that. It's a little bit different when there's only 20 million back home and... And, and you sort of, uh, the, the economies of scale or the enormity of this place is, is evident. Um, so for a, a kid from 
LA, basically. Malcolm to have done what he did and to hear his story was amazing. Um, I did have to preface the fact that my Norm Smith was done in a losing team, which he was surprised, <laughs> clearly surprised at. Um, it has happened once in the NFL, apparently. He couldn't remember the person, but he knows it's happened, and it was a defensive player in a losing team. Um, so I'm going to look that up. Yep. But, um, oh, look, he, um, well, the way he described it, he only played half the, if he only played half the snaps as well. So he had nine tackles, um, a fumble, a 69-yard intercept to a return for a touchdown, which is a fair, it's a fair, fair game, fair effort. Probably be the equivalent of... You know, getting 30 and kicking two in half a game. So he's had an exceptional game and, and um, yeah, well, that, that'll be something that he'll be able to take with him for the rest of his life, to be, to be able to stand up when the, when the um, whips are cracking and when, you know, when it matters most. But, yeah, he was, he was fantastic. You know, retired a couple of years ago, working out what he's going to do next. Daughter's six and four. So being a dad is the most important thing that he's got on his plate. But, yeah, it's always great to hear the struggles um, and then ultimately, you know, the, you know the, what you take out of it is not just, you know, his successes on the field, but his, you know, strength of character, the way he sees the world, the fact that he's, he has a real strong sense of who he is. And it's always great to hear people's stories like that. And there's a brazen commercialism to the Super Bowl. And he told the story that... <laughs> So when they gather for the Super Bowl, they all sign waivers that if you are the MVP, you do this, essentially, I suppose it's a video that goes, I'm going to Disney World. Oh, Disney World, that's right. Yeah. And so every player signs it. And his suspicion is that the quarterbacks, who are entirely likely to be the MVP, probably have about a $2 million <laughs> bounty on it. to do. And he might have signed for about 15000 not for a moment thinking he'd ever be the MVP. And then there's this crazy moment at the end of the game where he doesn't know he's the MVP, but the TV producers come up to him and say, we need you to look down. I'm going to Disney World. And he's going, what the hell's going on? I'm going to Disney No, no, you've got to do it. And it took him about 10 takes and then it started to... And I, then I think they said to him, and now you've got to go to the stage and be the MVP. <laughs> Imagine that at the end of a grand final. I would have thought... Yeah, well, can you imagine... You know, Peyton Manning was the quarterback in the Denver Broncos side that they beat. You know, can you imagine him signing that off for $15,000? Yeah. Not even lacing up McLeat for uh, any less than a million. So, yeah, it's... Um, the, I mean, in the end, the economy rules it, doesn't it? But his, um, his story was great. And he says uh, because of his successes in that, he gets really busy around Super Bowl yeah. time. He gets lots of gigs and people want to talk to the, a guy who was an MVP in a Super Bowl. So we were very fortunate. What did you make of our, our media setup? So we've been in the convention centre all week and there's a, a huge warehouse space down the bottom and in there is all the radio stations of America around the outside of the national TV setups. And then there's this NFL experience inside, which is for the fans, which has got lots of lovely touches. Is oh, We fooled around uh, a couple of days ago and kicked a field goal and threw a touchdown pass and caught a ball out of one of the pinging machines and then the the man of the year award which is such a um it's almost sort of a spiritual part of the game here and it's elevated to as well as the mvp of the league there's the um the walter manning man of the year um how did you take all of that in yeah i thought it was amazing what the, like walking around the media center this morning 
thanks for organising that. It was awesome. George Kittle, been a fan of his, and he's there getting interviewed. Von Miller. Um, you know, we, you walk around, there's plenty of, as you said, it's the commercial arrangements first with, with different um, businesses that are trying to be part of the backdrop of a Super Bowl and then they bring the personalities in front of that to, to talk about the game and it's a massive, it's a massive industry. Um, I think that the place looks so clean, it's so well organised. I can imagine as an AFL executive you'd walk into a place like this and you're looking at these events and you're working out how we can do it as well as we possibly can. I'm, I'm sure the September club has spurned from something like that that has been seen somewhere. Um, and it's not to say that we don't do things world-class as it is. Um, you don't always have to be learning from other places, but you know, there's, there's inspiration everywhere, and I'm pretty sure a Super Bowl and the environment that, this, that a city can build around a Super Bowl is something that, that the AFL execs are always looking for, and I think we do it. We do it pretty well. It's validation sometimes when you come to a, a, a place like this and think, well, I think we do it pretty well. I tell you that one thing to look for tomorrow is what we do better than the Super Bowl does is what happens after the final whistle, after the final siren. It is a total mishmash out on the field where we have the, the lovely ceremonies around. The players have their own space to celebrate while the song rings out and then you gather together for a presentation and then the lap of honor which having just lived it as a geelong fan is quite a beautiful thing and all the fans stay and push down and see how close they can get as you it's just a schmozzle over here there's nothing they, they sort of have a they do have a presentation but it looks nothing like ours does and there's no sort of formal lap they all just mill around so i think our parade so they have opening night on the monday which is sort of quirky in a wwe way our parade is better and what we do post siren is definitely better than what you'll see so they could learn a thing or two for us and then i think what we could learn is the environment around the game is this is huge celebration that draws people with a ticket or not a ticket fans of the two teams or not is this it's almost a pilgrimage to go and be part of super bowl week um without any necessity to go to the game itself so that's just that that's what i've sort of seen over the years this is our super bowl preview show from phoenix ahead of tomorrow's call on sen in our broadcast booth will be ben graham the first australian to play in a super bowl and larry fitzgerald who i'm sure you know his voice by now but he's america's equivalent of mike sheehan and instead of taking one a in the press box at his 43rd straight super bowl keep in mind this is super bowl 57 He's going to be with us on SEN. Over the next little bit, we're going to share with you Steve Levy. He is one of ESPN's premier talents over here in the States. And then a little bit of armchair experts, a deep dive into the game with Cam Luke and Ben Graham to set you up for the Chiefs and the Eagles here on SEN. You're listening to NFL on SEN, the Super Bowl 57 Eve preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. You're listening to NFL on SEN, the Super Bowl 57 Eve preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. For those of us who are hooked on ESPN at home, this man is a huge presence in our lives. NHL, NFL, Sports Centre, and at Super Bowl 57, he is going to be our voice. Steve Levy. Steve, it's great to have you on SEN. Thank you. It's nice to be with you as well. And, uh, you know, when you, when you run down some of my assignments, I'm... 
I continue to feel like I'm the luckiest guy on the planet, man. What a gig, huh? Yes. How about the intensity that builds towards the Super Bowl? That's great. And uh, we're clearly past the pandemic now. You know, you Radio Row is back and everything, and it's it's so nice to see the people out. And the, the planes are all full, and people are running around having a good time. And that's what it's supposed to be. The Super Bowl is an event. You know, it's so much more than just a football game. What's your sense of anticipation like as you get toward calling the Super Bowl? Well, first of all, I'm interested in the matchup, you know, and I think it's a great matchup. Um, you know, obviously the two top top seeds, but I just think it plays out the right star quality at the right positions. I love the two fan bases, and that's not the case every year. You know, the two markets are really incredible, and I think that, that sets up for a great Super Bowl. It's got some star power, doesn't yeah. it, with obviously Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and it, you know... There are other positions too, right? You know, and Travis Kelsey is tight end. And I think the defensive players probably are not getting their due. Um, the way Philadelphia, you know, rushes the quarterback, their defensive line play is unbelievable. And, um, and, and really, Kansas City has an underrated defense. That Chris Jones, I mean, he's a monster. But the KC defense gets no love because everybody loves Mahomes and Kelsey <laughs> in the offense. So they're kind of, if there's an under the radar unit, I think it's that Kansas City defense. Tell me, how many scenarios will you have running through your head around the possibilities of what's going to play out? Yeah, and there's a few, and there's one that's, you know, right down the middle. Hey, the Eagles are the better team, but Mahomes is the better quarterback, and I think that's the theme. And while I hate to be, you know, right down the middle and chalk and bland and vanilla, I think that's probably fair. You know, if you're looking at the entire roster, I think the Eagles have the better roster. Uh, but the Mahomes uh, experience in the Super Bowl, three in the last four years, and uh, Andy Reid, you know, pushing all the right buttons as the head coach. You just, you just can't doubt the Chiefs. And with any luck, we'll get a, you know, a great game in the fourth quarter uh, in the last five minutes and then, you know, let the drama play out. Yes, yes. It's, there's no denying that just the immensity of a Super Bowl. Uh, this is my sixth. So, and it's bigger than anything else that I've attended. The only thing awesome. I can ever liken it to is the 100-meter final at an Olympics and okay. the, the afternoon build-up to that event. What's it been in your life, the, the Super Bowl from when you're a kid through to when the, the prospect arises that you can cover it professionally? Yeah, the, uh, you know, the Super Bowl was so far beyond my realm of imagination. I was really, I grew up in New York City, and I was really strictly focused on my team. I just wanted the Jets to win a game, you know, and they're awful when I get that. They're <laughs> terrible. But uh, to then go, and I, and I started out in the business just strictly in New York, just covering the local teams. And then to go to ESPN and see the enormity of, you know, full national and every team. And then uh, this is my 20th Super Bowl. Uh, one as a fan, I think, and 19 sort of working in the business. And so I've been blessed that way. And the games get bigger. Uh, I think we are absolutely headed for more international play, maybe even international home teams, and maybe an international Super Bowl. Why, why would that be crazy 10 yeah. years from now? I don't think it is. So... We'll see. Uh, the NFL continues to grow and evolve. It's a train that can't be stopped. And uh, there is nothing bigger and better than the Super Bowl. And again, especially this year, these two franchises, these two fan bases. When you were a kid in New York, yeah. are you sports obsessed, Steve? Yes. And we were lucky because we had, like no, we had nine professional teams. I don't think there's any other city in the U.S. You know, there's three hockey teams all within a 20-mile radius, if you will. Two NFL, two Major League Baseball. Uh, two basketball teams, two NBA teams too. So really blessed in that regard. There was always a game to go to or watch on television. 
and uh, feel lucky in every way to have grown up there. When does the idea of broadcasting come to you? How far back can you trace yeah, it? Yeah, so at an early age, I realized I'm not going to be able to play sports because <laughs> I'm terrible at everything. Uh, and this is an opportunity to, you know, be in and around it and not get the crap kicked out of you and a chance for longevity and maybe even make the, uh, the odd dollar or two. So <laughs> it's, been, it's been great. Uh, I think my parents did what all parents do. They want their kid to follow their dreams. And then if it doesn't work out, they, they pick you up, rescue you, and try to point you in a different direction. I, honestly, I think my parents still can't believe that I'm doing this for a living. And I'm 30 years now at ESPN. Like, I just, I fell into it. You know, it's, it's, it's rare where, you're, where your passion falls into something you can do and be successful at for a really long time, right? Like, that's the dream. And it, it, I got lucky. It just worked out. So me. you were calling the hockey team at high school? Is that no? Uh, I just I just knew I I did the tape recorder thing. Like yep. I would go to the old Shea Stadium where the Mets played. And there was nobody else in the stadium, and I would sit in the upper deck with my buddies, and they would do the commercials, the analysis. But it sounded so good. You had the crowd, yeah. the organ, the PA. So I did a little bit of that, and sometimes I would do it in front of the television set too. But again, I really I I didn't grow, I wanted to be a player. Anything I would I played everything, just none of it well. <laughs> and I just realized, hey, you know. My chance to be around the game is is to broadcast and got lucky that way. How did the opportunity arise at ESPN in 93? So they had called. I was on uh, on television and radio in New York City. Uh, WFAN was the first all-sports yes. radio station. Became a big deal. Mike and the Man Dog and all that. And I was there at the right time. And because of the proximity from New York City to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is the world headquarters located, they were able to hear and see me. And I didn't even know they were watching and listening. And so I had an agent at the time, and they reached out, uh, and I turned them down the first time. I just, again, I was never about national. I only wanted to be in New York. I was living in Manhattan, young guy, family and friends, life. Madison Square Garden is down the street, go to games and all that stuff. And they came back a second time. I still didn't want to go. I pleaded with um, the television station. It was uh, WCBS-TV in New York. I said, don't let me go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm like, Steve, you're 25. You can't be the lead sports anchor in New York City at the age of 25, whatever it was. And I said, okay. And uh, it was obviously the best move I ever made. And that, that TV station has probably had 25 sports anchors since then. I would have never left New York City, uh, but it wound up being the, the best move for me and my family. Sports Center is iconic all around the yeah, world, certainly yeah. in America. What, what's the sense of responsibility when you come to Sports Center? I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a, it's a great point, the responsibility. So in New York, you know, I was sort of flippant with uh, jokes about this and that and, and making fun of this and that and knowing that full well that nobody in Seattle was, was hearing me. If I was, you know, making fun of Ken Griffey Jr. or whoever it might be, um, you know, I, I knew he wasn't seeing it. And then I got to Sports Center and I must have said something early on and I got reaction. Somebody, you know, GM called me or something. I'm like, whoa, why? Yep. Now, wait a second. So you got the Sports Center in and that day, Sports Center was it. Um, and every player, coach, general manager, they themselves, wasn't just the fans, right? It was the people actually, the decision makers in the sports. And that was a real good reminder to me and a good lesson. And uh, I made it my business to show up at, uh, you know, morning skate and hockey or after practices in locker rooms. It's important these guys see you, right? It's one thing. I'm sitting behind a desk in Bristol, Connecticut, wearing makeup to be making fun of these, you know, professional athletes who are the best of the best. And so uh, that was a good reality check, come face-to-face -face with them, and it, it's not that cute and funny anymore. And so that's, that's one of the lessons I learned that I try to tell young broadcasters, hey, again, you, you can't do what they do, 
So what looks like a bad mistake for them, you could never accomplish. So you got to really pick your spots when you're making fun and having some fun at somebody else's expense. Across the years, you've had so many great moments to cover. So is it the five-overtime game in an NHL playoff that, that is the that, longest yeah. televised? Is, yeah. it, is that it? It's the longest televised hockey game in history, yeah. It was one game longer like the 20s, but it wasn't on TV <laughs> or something. So, <laughs> What was, are your recollections of the night? Uh, I've been blessed. Got to do that just... And run out of words by the fifth overtime. I have no words. <laughs> so the play-by-play is reduced to strictly the last name. You know, Jones, <laughs> McClanahan, Wide, Lemieux, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, the 28-3 uh, deficit the Patriots had in the Super Bowl to the Falcons. To see that come back in person uh, was unbelievable. The McGuire-Sosa home run chase uh, that summer was special. Uh, listen, I've been blessed to be at these, you know, the, all these big uh, prize fights as well. And uh, just, it's really hard to pick. But the hockey's always been close to my heart. And yeah, the, the long overtime games, you know, the, the thing about that is that's not a skill. Like, I, I didn't do anything. I just, <laughs> in the building, it's mere coincidence. But people thought I had something to do with that, you know. And when you go to a Super Bowl, there, it, there's the possibility that there's a moment that lives eternal. A signature moment, yeah. absolutely. How does that sort of sit in the back of your mind as you as you prepare and then you look to do justice to something that might happen in front of you? No question. Uh, that's on my mind all the time. And you want to be sure that when that moment happens, you nail it and you get it right. Because that's the moment that lives forever, the signature moment. And every one of these games, you know, whether it's a series or a Super Bowl itself, has one shining moment, and you just want to be able to meet it and match it when it comes. And that's the beauty is you can't script it because you don't know when it's going to come, and you don't know who's, who's going to make it, right? And so it could be a defensive play. could be a special teams play in the Super Bowl. doesn't necessarily have to be Mahomes to Kelsey. Yep. And so that's the beauty. And uh, it is the preparation leading up that hopefully has you ready. There's no other way to, to do it. You have to be prepared. And um, and if you're not doing the preparation in our industry, uh, you won't last too long. People know people know who know you know who's who's prepared and who's not. Jordan Maylard is such a big part of this Super Bowl for yep. our Australian audience. Yep. Ben Graham will be in my booth with me for radio. Yeah. First man, first Australian to play in it. Awesome. We're now hoping for the first Australian to win it. Yep, yep. that'd be great. Um, what the Eagles have done, the turnover on the roster is really, you know, from five years ago. They might have turned over 90% of the roster. I mean, that's, that's how the NFL works, though, man. You, you can be a terrible team, and so quickly you're right back in. Last one. Yeah. You spoke about all the possibilities. Yeah. Is it possible that the Jets could make a Super Bowl, Steve? When? Like, when? <laughs> like, in my lifetime? I'm getting older, too. I don't know about that anymore. I do, uh, you know, my, I'm lucky my dad is still around and still in good health. I'd love to be able to take my dad and my two sons to the Super Bowl one day and see the Jets. And, uh, again, I've been so lucky, luckiest guy in the industry. I just need one more thing to happen, and that would be great. And then, of course, I want him to win, right? Yes. Can you imagine you get there <laughs> and they lose the Super Bowl, which, of course, is a, probably a likelihood more than a possibility. So, fingers crossed. The very best of luck with the call, Steve. It's great to have you with us on SEN. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. You're listening to NFL on SEN, the Super Bowl 57 Eve preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. You're listening to NFL on SEN, the Super Bowl 57 Eve preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. Our special Sunday preview show ahead of Super Bowl 57. 
bit of analysis, bit of a deep dive, bit of fun. Cam Luke's here with Ben Graham. Cam, great to see you. Uh, Jared, lovely to see you. BG in the house, back to where it uh, well, it all happened all those years ago. All those years ago, yes. So 14 years ago, I played in the Super Bowl, but uh, representing the Cardinals. But coming back to Phoenix is quite special. Mm. And uh, my family, they wish they were here with me, but unfortunately, they couldn't make the trip. But uh, it is great to be back catching up with all old teammates, some friends that live here still in Phoenix, and some past teammates from other clubs all converging on the Super Bowl, ready for Sunday. It, it, it sounds like a cliche question and one that no doubt you've spoken about a lot, but in this particular week, the whole week, the build-up towards it, how, how easy is it to get caught up in stuff that you don't traditionally get caught up in, say, week six or week seven? Oh, it's extre- extremely hard. You've got two weeks to prepare for the game, so you try and get as much done as you can in the first week when you're sleeping in your own bed, but every day that gets closer to the Super Bowl, you can feel the anxiety, you can feel those distractions, the tickets, the families flying in, the media day, and everything else that goes with it. But when your head hits the pillow in that hotel room, Wednesday night after a good practice, you are comfortable where things are at, but you're a little bit excited because in four more sleeps you'll be playing in the Super Bowl. And three days before, it's a little harder to sleep, the anxiety starts to get a little more. And then, you know, of course... By the time you get to the night before and you've had that last meeting, you go to bed and you understand the momentous occasion that you're about to embark on the next day. And there's a huge number of reasons as to why there's a two-week gap between Championship Weekend and, of course, Super Bowl Sunday. But for whatever the factors are, it helps these two teams because Patrick Mahomes and a high ankle sprain. Now, he probably didn't scramble or run as much, although he did have a fairly decent run which set up the win uh, against the Bengals. And also Jalen Hurts, who's had that shoulder concern. So the extra week, so two weeks here is going to help both of those players, both those teams, and of course both their quarterbacks are so important. Well, and not just the quarterbacks either. So we know there are other position players that will... Not if you ask the use, quarterbacks, BG. There's the quarterbacks <laughs> and that's it. Use the, this two weeks. But you're right. Patrick Mahomes, the big question was, could he respond quickly enough after the Jaguars game to face the Bengals? And he did enough. And for Jalen Hurts, that shoulder injury has been around most of the season. So, yes, absolutely. The, not only uh, the buy for him finish number one seed, but also uh, this two weeks leading into the game. But but there's no one on the injury list at the Philadelphia Eagles right now. So you have to assume that Jalen Hurts is 100% healthy. Patrick Mahomes, he did get through the game last week and didn't look like it got worse. But I can argue that the Chiefs are a better offense with Patrick Mahomes when he stays in the pocket rather than having that scrambling ability and making plays up on the run, which he does. But Pretty sure once he steps over that white line, he will be 100%. Well, the Eagles, as we know, they're a great defensive unit. They've been the best team all year. They started off very hot. They dropped a couple when Jalen Hurts was hurt, and they were trying to wrap the number one seed up. In this situation, great defensively. You mentioned that on the Armchair Experts a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how big's the O-line then for the Chiefs? Because if, if he's scrambling, then the Eagles are going to have the upper hand. But if he's just back being able to pick off the defence, then it's a huge reason as to why the Chiefs can get this done, right? Well, absolutely. So I think that the offensive line of the Chiefs is quite underrated. They've done a great job because they've been on the same page. Whereas the Eagles' defence, they've been dominant. They have a pass rush, unbelievable, led by Hassan Reddick, who tore the 49ers. And, and, and an elbow. <laughs> the, exactly. Brock Purdy's elbow. And, but what they're facing, though, and they might have the best 
pass defense in the NFL, but they're facing the best pass mm. offense in the NFL. So they haven't they haven't seen an offense at this level yet all season. But Patrick Mahomes is number one out of the pocket against man coverage and against zone coverage. So it doesn't matter. He's going to he 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 will find a way to get this done. Now we love the Eagles story. We love that we've got the Australians playing in the Super Bowl. But in terms of if I was to take a team and a quarterback to win me a game of football in the fourth quarter when it's close, it's Patrick Mahomes every day of the week. Well, there's your tip, I suppose. So we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to talk about the Australians as well because there are a lot of Australians right now who just jump on a bandwagon. They get the day off work. They just go to a bar or a party and they've got to find a team to support. And the Eagles is going to be that for many Australians because we have two who are on the team, Jordan Malata and Aaron Sipos. We'll start with Malata because he's critically important to what Philadelphia do. All right, he's an amazing story. He is a offensive lineman that has come through the ranks and he has deserved his latest deal that he signed. But he's such an integral part to the way they play because as the offensive lineman, as a left tackle, he's protecting Jalen Hurts when he's in the pocket, but also when they run the football. And they are a good running football team. And what it's doing, though, is he's from Sydney, so we've got the New South Wales and Queensland fans are going to follow the Eagles. And Aaron being Melbourne. So we've got that covered. We were at the Sporting Globe where well, we, well, had, a, we well, had an Eagles watch well, party. We, we did, and, and you, you angered them. We had to actually get out the back door because you said they <laughs> won't make the Super Bowl. They were 10 and zip at the time. They, they were. They'd had a, quite a soft draw, but they got better and better, and they've dominated teams in the playoffs so far. So here you've got, you've got two teams that have come into the Super Bowl two different ways. The Eagles, they smashed the 49ers mm-hmm. 31-7, the Giants 38-7, but the Chiefs had to do it the tough way. But interestingly, both teams are built differently. They've got The Eagles are majorly built through the draft. Only A.J. Brown, really, of their starters is a, traded in from free agency. And for the Chiefs, yes, Patrick Mahomes, Isaiah Pacheco, Travis Kelsey were all drafted, but a lot of free agents the Chiefs. So, yes, but in terms of who you're going to support, there's a big Eagles fan base in Australia, which is fantastic. So, big tick. Uh, from a from a best player on the field perspective, it's Patrick Mahomes. So, there are a lot of people, sports fans, that no want doubt. to see the best be the best. Uh, it's going to be great. I know we're going to get to a break shortly and uh, give GW back the reins to what's been a great show, but uh, I like you. You think a little differently. I know you've half alluded to it already that you're with the Chiefs, correct? Yes, I, I am. As much as as much as uh, I think the Eagles are a better all-round football team and they've been the most adaptable football team all year, it doesn't matter who they play, they will find a way. But the Chiefs, I think, have an underrated defence. If they're able to stop the run and limit the impact of Jalen Hurts and the run-pass option, that's called an RPO. There you go, RPO. RPO. Run-pass option. That's when the quarterback and the running back come to the line together and you're not sure if they're going to pass it or they're going to run it, uh, hand it off to the running back. Or the running back can actually... uh, Jalen Hurts runs it himself. He does. So it's a a tough offence to match, but I think the Chiefs' underrated defence, it'll it'll be one of these low-scoring first halves. And I think that in the second half, the Chiefs haven't been great at scoring in the second mm-hmm. half. If the Chiefs can keep it quite close in the first half, 
I'll take Patrick Mahomes in the last quarter to, for that drive at, at the end of the game to score that touchdown to win. And it'll be his second Super Bowl. And if the Chiefs do win, he will be the MVP. Uh, I think Isaiah Pacheco plays an important role. But, no, I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs in a close one. Just before we do leave, Andy Reid's a really interesting story. He was very successful at Philly. In the end, I think there was a bit of a common sort of what they believed, the Eagles, that it was a mutual decision that he was going to take some time off because he had some tragedy within the family. And then three days later, he bobs up as the Chiefs coach and has been brilliant, just as brilliant as, in fact, more so due to the fact they got a Super Bowl already under the belt. This is an interesting story. It doesn't happen on field, but it is an interesting story with Andy Reid. Well, it is. He coached the Eagles for 14 years. He'd have some great relationships in the front office. Not sure there's too many players that are left. Be none. But... 14 years, nine playoff uh, appearances, and this is his 10th year as coach of the Chiefs, and it's his ninth, taking the Chiefs to their ninth playoff. They're in this special window, the Chiefs. They've made it to five consecutive AFC Championship game. This will be their third Super Bowl in four years. Uh, yes, Unreal. They've won one, they've lost one, but this is, this is going to be... Yes, there's the Andy Reid story. Yes, we've got Jason Kelsey for the Eagles and Travis Kelsey for the Chiefs. Brothers playing against each other for the first time. First time we've got two black quarterbacks playing against each other. It's number one seed versus number one seed. Great offense versus great... De- it's going to be a magical game. Can't wait. Now, before we, uh, before, before we get out of here, can I, can I wear the, the NFC Championship ring? Can I, can I? No. No? Okay. No, no, no. I, well, it, when I'm in America, it stays yeah, on my on your hand. Finger. I know. As soon as I get on the prize off. When you were snoozing before, I couldn't get it. Uh, thank you, BG. Uh, G-Dub, it's back to you, mate. Cam Luke and Ben Graham there. Ben, thanks to Neds. Whatever you bet on, take you to the Neds level. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning in Australia, Super Bowl Sunday, we'll have you inside the stadium for the Chiefs and the Eagles tidy up with Nathan Buckley next. You're listening to NFL on SEN, the Super Bowl 57E preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. You're listening to NFL on SEN, the Super Bowl 57E preview special with Jared Whiteley and Nathan Buckley. Our SEN Super Bowl preview show here in Phoenix as the sun is starting to set and the buds are going down, Will, but that we didn't really say that out loud. Nathan Buckley, tell me, what are you expecting tomorrow when we head to the stadium? What, what's in your mind of what it's going to be like? Well, it's one of the few times that you can go to a... Like, having been in a an elite-level competition for 30 years, half as a player, half as a coach, you sort of come to events like this, and it, and it is my first... You come to an event like this and I suppose you see it through different eyes. You've been a competitor at that level, but I mean, I'm just, just going to be a, a fanboy like, like everyone else. I, mean, I, I think you just go along with the, you know, the, you know, the crowd will be huge. There'll be all, everything will be a buzz. I'd be interested to see how the players are reacting, how the coaches react on the sidelines. I've been to um, three or four live NFL games, so I know what I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, it's 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 to see how a couple of teams that have um, qualified really well 
you know, number one seeds in their respective conferences and you've got the best v the best and it's what you want to see when you go and see a game like this. So I, I'm, I don't know what to expect, absolutely. So you go there, you know, open-minded, open-eyed, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed and, and um, hopefully. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, really enjoy the experience. It crackles. It crackles like the only other event I've been to like it is the 100 metres men's final at an Olympics where the whole day builds towards this moment. And it really is, without any judgment, it's just bigger because of the scope and the magnitude than anything else. Inside the game, there's this great philosophical struggle. Is it the best team? So I think there's a general recognition that the Eagles are the best overall roster. Or is it the best player? And there's no question that Patrick Mahomes is the best player on the field. He's just been named the MVP. Um, and I don't know. This is, I think this is where the sport is unique. Is I have a slight leaning towards usually the best player in a Super Bowl does prevail. And it's not necessarily about the best team. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that philosophical struggle plays out before us. Yeah, look, I... I, I I like the Eagles. I like the way that they've gone through the season, and you know they they were unbeatable early. Everyone thinks they've had a charmed run. You know, Hertz was injured, missed a couple of games. They lost both of those games, or lost two of the three, I think. Um, but then he comes back in, and is he fit? But they just I've I've haven't talking about my education in the game. I haven't really given enough credence to how important the offensive and defensive lines are. I mean, these, these are big boys that are doing their business up front. But then listening a little bit more to the commentary, I'll, I'll be looking at how, if the Eagles O-line can dominate the um, the Chiefs D-line, and obviously they've got some stars in, in, in their D-line themselves, but you know, they obviously create holes for their runners to go through, create time and space for Hertz to do his business. So, I mean, these guys are, you, you sort of, I, I, unless they take their helmet off, I mean, and even when they do, they're, they're sort of, for me, they're unrecognisable. You know, you run around with a helmet all day and I, I'd walk past these blokes and wouldn't have a, have a clue who they were, but they're, they're going to be pivotal to their team's chances. So, Jason Kelsey, whose brother Travis is on the other side, how's, how does his role is pivotal to create these, these run um, channels and... Yeah, I suppose I'll be looking for that. I, I, lo- I love the Eagles story, but nearly every, every pundit over here that knows the game far better than I do says that they expect Mahomes and the Chiefs just to get it done when the time's there to get it done. And yet they're the narrowest of underdogs. Bucks, I hope you enjoy it. I know you will. It, it'll, be, it'll be a day that that's, uh, I reckon will live with you, and I can't wait to talk to you after it. Well, I, I passed up a few opportunities, so I'm very happy to be here and, um, yeah, looking forward. I'm sure you'll... Share it and bring it across well to the listeners. That's our setup for Super Bowl 57. Join us tomorrow morning as the Chiefs and the Eagles meet Ben Graham, Larry Fitzgerald in the broadcast box and that Australian story right at the top of the pile. Will Australia have its first Super Bowl winning player in Jordan Mailata and hopefully in Aaron Sipos? We'll join you from Phoenix for the call tomorrow.